Cody's coming forward to read the scripture, I want to give you a little sense of context to it. This coming Saturday night on Christmas Eve, you're going to be hearing the story that we're probably most familiar with, which is Luke's version of the birth of Christ, where you have shepherds and wise men and all those wonderful parts of the story we've come to love. But today we're hearing it from the perspective of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth from the perspective of Joseph, the father of Jesus. He is not nearly as concerned with a lot of detail. The whole entire Gospel of Matthew portrays Jesus coming as a king ready to usurp the powers of the world and establish his own kingdom. It begins in this story. I invite you to hear and listen now to the first chapter of Matthew's selection of it, where you'll hear Joseph struggle with a very difficult decision, thinking he had it right, only to discover just how wrong he was. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall receive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Coach. Would you join with me in prayer? We all came today seeking, Lord, different things, which is exactly as it ought to be because you come to us each uniquely. You came to Joseph in the way in which he needed on that night, and I pray that today you'll come to us as we need you, giving to each of us the same message of grace and hope and redemption and forgiveness, but also giving to us each particularly what we need for what we're facing. And to any extent that my words can help that, thank you. I humble myself before you, and to the extent that I get in the way, then I ask you to move me aside. You and you alone are what is remembered. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. He was resolved. He had his mind made up. Now, it was not an easy decision between two difficult choices. Joseph, as we see him in this story, is wrestling with what to do with an unexpected situation drawing upon the base, the best information available to him from his culture and tradition. He was betrothed to Mary. Now, a word about that. Getting married in the time of Joseph and Mary was a two-step process. First, you would have the families enter into a legal contract 
bringing two people together for the intent purpose of marrying them off to each other. After the parents had signed that contract, the kids, Joseph and Mary in this case, whether or not they were kids or not, were for all practical purposes married in the eyes of the law, but they didn't live with each other. They stayed basically living their lives as they had all along, each in the other home, the home of their family. And that would last for a year. At the end of that year, then, there would be a celebration, and the woman would move into her now husband's home, and off they'd start their married life. It's that first year that we find Joseph and Mary in. Joseph faces a very difficult situation because he's gotten some pretty tough news. Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, whatever else you do with that information, Joseph is left with a decision to make because he really is not a theologian. He's not a preacher. He's a guy who's trying to figure out how he's going to live his life within the context of his family and friends and community. And he knows that the culture, his family, would be disgraced if he were to bring into his family situation a pregnant young woman because no one's buying that Holy Spirit story. And so he makes the difficult decision that was correct by the custom of his day to not marry Mary. But the other decision you may not understand that he makes is this. It says he quietly dismisses her. That means that he was not going to marry her, but he would not shame her publicly. It was his right to do so. Some would say it was his expectation. Consequences for Mary would be that she would be judged and condemned by the community. She would be ostracized and, in a number of cases, put to judgment and stoned to death. So, dismissing a woman with child without resources or support is the lesser of two evils. He dismisses her quietly. He made the right decision. What everyone in the community would have said he should do. I'm sure Mama and Daddy were saying that's the right thing to do, son. So he decides to do that and he goes to bed. The right decision. Creating the wrong thing. Thwarting the movement of God. And so that night, around 3.42 in the morning... You've been awake at 3.42 in the morning? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Except to Joseph, an angel appears. Joseph, you got it all wrong. I'm going to lay some stuff on you, so I want you to stay laying down for this, okay? All right, yeah, here we go. Now, Mary is pregnant, that's true. But she's pregnant because the Holy Spirit has come upon her. The child she is carrying is the child of God. That is to say, the Messiah. You're going to be the daddy to the Messiah. So get up off your cot and do the right thing to marry this girl. Take her into your home and go for the wildest ride any father has ever gone on in history. Now get some sleep. You understand, it's been a pretty hard night for Joseph. 
How do you get ready to raise the child of God? But at least now, knowing what God is doing, he makes a different decision. Any of you ever made the right decisions that led to the wrong results? See, I really think very few of us, very rarely, intentionally say, I'm going to do the wrong thing right now. Most of us don't do that, I don't think. Now, we do stupid things, but that's not a different sermon. We do what we think is best based out of what we know and sometimes create the worst scenarios possible for others. Can I get an amen to that? Do you have any of those thoughts in your mind when you've made a right decision that later on you realized was the wrong thing to do? Well, we're a week away from the celebration of the birth of the child Joseph was told about. (coughs) And I want to ask us for a few minutes this morning to think about what that truth might have to say about the decisions we're making that we think are right, that are really wrong. It's funny how we can be so sure that we're right. I have a fair amount of of a lack of self-confidence. I'm a fairly healthy neurotic. So I'm not always sure that I'm doing the right thing, and I like having people around me. Not yes, I hate yes people. I mean, I don't hate them, I guess, but I don't need them. And God knows I don't have any. (laughs) I don't know, maybe one or two might be nice for a while. I don't know. But every once in a while, I need someone to say, yeah, you're going the right way. No, you're not. Those are good people to have in your life. But most of us, when we make decisions, think we're doing the right thing, at least the rightest thing we can do at that moment, and we understand why we're right. We can even tell you why we're right. We can tell you why we did what we did. And we see someone else do exactly the same thing and call them an idiot for it. I was in the parking lot at the mall this week. I saw a lot of idiots. Now that gets an amen, doesn't it? (laughs) When I went the wrong way on a one-way, though, there was a reason for it. I was distracted. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Observational bias is a term we use to describe how we will look at what other people do and put to them a character flaw. They're stupid, they're lazy. And when we do exactly the same thing, we can justify it because we know why we went wrong. It's how we live our life. All of us have done it. All of us do it, don't we? In small things and in big things. When I was younger, I remember listening to someone give a lecture, said there are five big decisions you make in your life. And the joy of your life, the meaning of your life, is all impacted by those five big decisions. No pressure there. What I've come to discover, though, is I'm not sure that... I think he was right then, but I don't think he's right anymore. I know, for example, one of the things he says, the decision you make about the career you will have. Well, it was back in the day when people had one career. That day doesn't exist anymore. So it's not about just one decision. It's about making the faithful decision in any given moment, doing the best that you can with what you know, hoping that for all the right reasons you don't do the wrong thing. 
I don't want to pick on anybody in this room, so let me just give you an example of something that I love very much, and it's the church. Church throughout the centuries has made the right decisions and created the wrong things in the world. In the very beginning, we start out by saying you couldn't be a Christian unless you first were a Jew. We were wrong. We then said that other cultures needed to look like us before they would really be right. They were, we were wrong. We then said only clergy could have the Bible. You couldn't trust laity to read the Bible. We were wrong. We said the best thing to do would be get rid of the indigenous people. We were wrong. We said it was okay to enslave others. We were wrong. We said women should not speak up in church and shouldn't lead. We were wrong. And still today, we judge others who are different than us with grotesque and flawed perspective and exclude so many. By proclamations and behavior, we wonder why folks aren't flocking in to sit with us. And one day we'll discover that we are wrong. In each case that I just referred to, Scripture was used to justify what we did. We made the most right decision we thought we could make based on Scripture and culture and the pressure around us, and we were wrong. And it's been said that in every season, there are controversies in the world that eventually become the places where we discover where God was at work the most. Now, let me also point this out. In every one of the examples that I just gave you, it was the church that changed the culture and made those decisions right. It was the church that brought about justice. And that's my hope today. But I also think not just for the church, but for you and me, we make decisions today that we're making right now, this week. We want to make sure that we're right, but we also want to make sure that we're not just making the right decisions of the wrong things. What does that mean? That we're doing the right thing, but blocking the very thing that God is doing. That's what Joseph did. He made the right choice, but he was oblivious to a truth that he could not or would not open himself up to see. What was God doing in the moment? Where was God moving? Where was God needing him to be in the moment? That's a different question. That moves beyond the best experts you can find and the best data you can receive and the most peer pressure you're under. What is God doing? Well, that night he went to bed and he got an angel to come to him to correct him. Don't you wish you could have an angel? Well, maybe not. Angels are scary. You wake up 3.42 in the morning with an angel in your bed, it's a scary moment. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> but you also sit in a place different than Joseph did. You see, Joseph was sitting on the before Jesus comes side of history. He needed an angel to come to him to tell him what God needed to do about this Jesus guy because Jesus wasn't there yet. And I've heard people say, why doesn't the church get more angels? Why doesn't the world have more angel drop-ins? It's because we're on this side of the revelation of God. I mean, 
God was having to send angels before Jesus came, but then he sent Jesus. And so God is in essence saying to the church today, to the world today, to you and me, y'all, you got Jesus. You know that book? Tells the stories of Jesus, his teachings, what he wants you to live, how he wants you to be as a community of faith. You have that. Joseph didn't. You have a community gathered around focusing on and living out who this Jesus is. And yes, there will be days you will get it wrong. But you will never be in a place where your decisions can't be made right by the next right decision. See, that's the hope in this story. Joseph did the wrong thing. And then God turned him around. And Christmas was able to happen. That's the message of the scripture for you today. You and I need to be those who are bold and daring to make decisions for the sake of Christ in the world. To go where God is moving. To go where God is pushing you to go. To make declarative statements and live your life by those declarations. And then... Stay in constant communication with the Lord because when you get it wrong, you can go back to Joseph and see that God will take you and make an opportunity for you to make the next right decision that brings about what God needs. Too many of us are living with the guilt of past decisions and think we can't change them. Well, you can't change consequences, that's true, but you can change the decision that you're living by today. Quit living by old decisions. Every morning, you and I get a chance to wake up and make a decision about what today will be and how we'll live according to what Christ needs us to be, and that may be different than yesterday, and that may be okay. Because it may take you to more where God is needing you to be. Every night you go to bed, And you get a choice. You get a chance to make a decision. Do I want to enter into this night with anxiety and fear? Or do I want to lay my head down and just turn it over to God? Now, yes, I know. Pastor, I've tried that. It's so hard to do. I can't do it. I've tried to do it on some nights. Couldn't do it either. So I keep trying it until finally I can surrender it. And then I'll tell you the other thing I've learned, too. I don't do real well with turning it over to Jesus and not doing anything, not doing anything with that. I have to go out and do something with it. Oftentimes that means I have to do a different action. We're a week from Christmas. And it feels to me like at the end of the service today, the benediction ought to be, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Race out there into the world and get your checklist done and get to the Christmas that you think has to happen. Or maybe today we need to leave worship open to the Christmas God might lead us to. Not the one that you create, but the one that God already is preparing for you. Hey, y'all. Your checklist this week, your calendar this week, it may be right and good, follow it. 
But if there comes a moment when God nudges you, and if you're open to listening to God, to asking God what you need to do and decide in the moment, if God says, you know, maybe you ought to go here instead. Maybe you ought to let that go. Then you may find yourself like Joseph, turned around on a decision and on a consequence of your life. You may find that Christmas is going to be different this year. You may find that you too are given a child that will change the entire world around you and in you. You may discover that you can make a new right decision right now that will bring about different consequences to the glory of God. When Joseph got up that next morning, Scripture doesn't say what the look was on his face. Scripture doesn't say that everything went smooth and easy. Pretty clear it didn't. He had to go tell mom and daddy he was taking her as his wife. He then had to go to Bethlehem, that journey. Remember that story? Then he had to go to hide two years in Egypt because there were people trying to kill the child. And then, and then quite frankly, Joseph doesn't show up in the rest of the Scriptures. We don't know what happened to him. I'm not saying that even the right decisions for Christ mean everything gets nice and easy and comfortable. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's no decision in the world that replaces the meaning in your life unless it's the one that takes you where God needs you to be. Because at the end of the story, 2,000 years later, you and I still remember Joseph. And you and I are changed people because of the child he chose to let be a part of his life. Let that be your legacy. And let that be your decision this week. For those of you who have never made it, let that be your decision right now. To let that child into your life. It can make every bad decision before this moment redeemed. And I can promise you, It will change the Christmas to come.